Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And that's what we're here to do, guys. We're here to worship the risen Savior. Uh, someone once said that what we do on Sunday mornings is a dress rehearsal for what we will get to do for all of eternity. Praise God. Amen. And may we not take it lightly. What a privilege we have to worship together and gather together. Um, we're going to continue in our Step Out series. So if you want to get a copy of God's Word in your hand, turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to be there today. And if you want to get a finger in Hebrews 11, we're also going to be in Genesis chapter 4 today. Um, and so as we dive from Hebrews into what God is doing through the life of Genesis as the Old Testament points to the New. My name is Dan Hammer. the privilege of being a senior pastor here. And what a privilege it is to get to know you guys and to see some even newer faces today. would love to get a chance to get to know you after after the service if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. And if this is your first time here, or you've been here many, many times, your family. And we love, love, love seeing you here and worshiping with you here. Praise God for all that he's doing. Amen. We're going, to, we're going to celebrate communion at the end of the service, as we talked about in announcements earlier today. And so if you are watching with us online, go ahead and grab something from your pantry or your fridge, a cookie, a cracker, some type of liquid substance um, to be able to celebrate what, who God is to us and what he's done for us at the end of the service today. But praise God for how he's building his church at Harvest. Amen. And he is doing that, and he's doing it in, in, in all sorts of different ways, and we exist to glorify God. And as we continue to dig into the series, our year-long theme is Jesus, build your church. That's our heart cry. Build your church, Jesus. And so that requires us to do our part, because we know Jesus is going to do his, amen? And so our part is to step out in faith, to, to look to him, to worship him. And last week, we kicked off our Step Out sermon series. It's an exhortation and an encouragement to can be continually living a life life that is out of the faith that we have for Jesus and stepping out in faith to embrace gospel opportunities from Jesus. So my question to you is, how's it going, right? As we, as you, this is a dangerous, file this under the dangerous prayers to pray, right? Because when you pray these, God, give me the opportunity to step out in faith. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to do it. And but guess what faith is? It's trusting in what you can't see. So all of us control freaks need to get over ourselves, right? And lay it down. And asking God to do in us and through us what only he can do. But before, as we get going here, I'm going to, because we like to have fun and play a little association game, phrase association game. We love it when you talk back here, participate. This is a, in, in what God's doing through the message through church here. So I'm going to say a, a famous phrase that is on a, a famous person's epitaph. And I want you to tell me and guess who you think it's from. Okay. Just shout it out. It's okay. We're, we, we're, some of us are wrong. Some of us are right. Some of us are more wrong than right. Um, but here's the first one. Cursed be he who moves my bones. Anybody? Oh, man. It's a part of what's on Shakespeare's epitaph. Ah. Second one, the best is yet to come. Oh, blue eyes, Frank Sinatra. All right. If some of y'all missed this one, you need to check in your ID cards. Uh, quoth the raven, nevermore. Hey, yeah, we're in the shadows of Baltimore. Heck yeah. Here we go. Uh, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Martin Luther King Jr., amen. So my question for you is, if there could be one phrase on your tombstone, what would it be? What do you want on your tombstone? And I'm not talking about your, for your favorite frozen pizza toppings either. But what would it be? And what about this? What if it was a summary from your friends and family about what you are living life for right now? What mattered most to you? What would be on there? You ever think about that? What are you going to be remembered for? What's your legacy? Maybe some of us, that would be like world's best hack golfer, because that's what we're living for right now, or vacation planner. Great Netflix binge watcher. 
amazing Instagram reel poster, successful resume builder, American dream accomplisher, I've arrived. I have my 2.4 kids. I got the white picket fence. I got the car, the house, the spouse. But there's still an emptiness inside of me. Because friends, you were meant for so much more. God literally wired you with a hole in your heart for eternity. Ecclesiastes says that Solomon writes that. So what are you truly living for? If you died today, what would your legacy be? How would you be remembered? We're going to see that today. We're going to see that from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. We're going to see a man whose life was not long on earth, but whose the text literally says his life is still speaking. It's still impacting. Even from the grave, he is testifying about the goodness of God as he lived a life of faith for God. And may that be so true of all of us, amen? That we live in such a way that our life, even after the days are gone on this earth, still speak loudly to others about the one who rules over this earth, Jesus Christ. Man, that's my prayer. For me, for you, for this church, that on all of our tombstones, in some phraseology, it could just be said, it's all about Jesus. And may that be the way that we live our life. Because that's the way that Abel lived his life. We're going to see today what it looks like to step out in faith in such a way that God will speak loudly through your life and your death. We're going to see a tale of two stories, a tale of two brothers, raised in the same family, raised with the same heritage, raised in the same exact scenario and situation, but we're going to see a divergent path, a path from the heart. One whose heart was far from God, his name is Cain, and one whose, whose heart was walked in faith with God, his name is Abel. One whose life literally ended in destruction, wandering away from God because the fruit of his life was direct sin against God. And the other who had his life shortened as the first martyr that we know because of his faith in God, but whose life still speaks loudly for God. Because the gospel doesn't guarantee you a long life on earth, but the gospel can guarantee you an impactful life on earth for what really matters. Amen. And may we live that way. Because while we looked at last week, we're going to look at today, we're going to look at every day because it's all about Jesus. Jesus has won the war, praise God. Sin is defeated. The grave is still empty. Jesus still reigns. The battle for your heart is raging today, is it not? It's raging. So who's winning right now? Who's on the throne of your heart? It's an everyday decision. That's a decision of faith. Who will I prioritize? Ultimately, who will I worship? Because worship means to ascribe worth. It means who am I elevating overall? And ultimately, at the end of the day, we have two choices. It's either the Savior or ourselves. Cain elevated himself. Abel elevated his Savior. And every decision you make has consequences. Repercussions, ramifications. Praise God for his grace. The big idea for today that you'll see in your notes and in the Bible and on the screen is this, that a life of faith is rooted in a heart of worship. A life of faith is rooted in a heart of worship. Again, we're going to go through these second series over the next several weeks. What does it look like to step out in faith? Well, it looks like the building block, the foundation is this. It needs to be grounded and rooted in a heart of worship. 
Because the life that speaks loudly for Jesus is a life that worships Jesus fervently. Because Jesus changes everything. Today, he's offering each of us what we're seeking, peace, hope, love, joy. He's not offering you a long life on earth. We will see that in the text. Abel lived a very short life on earth. But he's offering you an eternal impacting life, no matter how many days you have here on this earth. He's offering you abundant life on earth and eternal life with him forever. Will you choose it? And what does it look like to choose it? We're going to see today. Go with me, if you would, in prayer to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you have called us to a life of faith. You have equipped us for a life of faith. And we gather here today in the reality, God, that you are faithful and we can put our trust and our faith in you. God, thank you for the power of the gospel in all situations and circumstances of life that fuels us and fills us and compels us that you are worthy of worship in every single scenario and situation. You are worthy of it all. So Jesus, have it all today. Have it all. Silence the distractions in our hearts and our minds and open our hearts to the reality of your victory, but also the reality of the daily battles that we face. The fact that you equip us and you go before us and you walk with us. Holy Spirit, silence my words and may you flow. May your words speak loudly today, Jesus. And may you convict us and encourage us, compel us and exhort us to live more like you and help us to respond accordingly in faith. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. So turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11 and look with me at verse four. This is the word of the Lord. And if you're, if you're newer to the Bible, Hebrews is about two-thirds of the way to the right. And it's in the New Testament. The word of the Lord. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Praise God, amen. He still speaks. This is the first specific Old Testament faith testimony that the author of Hebrews gives us. And he's laying out the foundation that we talked about just a second ago, that the more, most important piece of our foundation of faith is the reality that it must flow from a heart of worship. We see Abel described as a worshiper here, offering acceptable sacrifices to God. Your faith starts in your heart. The life of faith is a fruit of a heart that is rooted in worship. Faith is not simply behavior modification, but it's true heart transformation that is committed to exalting Jesus and committed to obeying Jesus as we follow Jesus. Faith is a decision. It's a response to God in our heart, on a heart level that becomes in the actions and drives the actions of our life. Here's the definition of faith, a working definition, if you would, uh, that, that we rolled out last week just to reiterate it. Biblical faith is a confident belief in Jesus that produces enduring obedience to God in order to advance the kingdom of God, no matter our earthly circumstances or, or, or situations or consequences. 
Now, when we put your faith in the Lord, it's a one-time decision that guarantees your eternity of salvation. No one can ever take that away from you when you authentically surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. But faith is more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It is a series of everyday decisions that you make. Every decision you make. Will I obey God or will I rebel against God? Will I choose to trust God or am I going to try to rely on myself? And every decision we make has ramifications and consequences. And at the root of stepping out, at the root of living a life of faith, of stepping out for God is a heart that truly worships God. Just like you can't have the fruit of a large tree. Anybody got large trees around in your neighborhood or just look around here, right? They don't happen overnight, right? And the larger the tree, it means the larger the roots. And so the the deeper that the roots grow, the stronger, the bigger, the more verbose the tree is. The same thing with faith. The deeper that you grow in God, the the stronger that your faith will be for God. That's the whole process of discipleship. That's why it's vitally important. Jesus commands us to it, and we're prioritizing it here. But we want to grow in our our head knowledge, our theology of God. We also want to, more importantly, even as we dovetail with that, we want to grow in our heart knowledge relationally with God on every level from kids to teens to adults, because that will fuel us to live a faithful life for God. Worship means to ascribe worth. It is the process of surrendering, submitting to Jesus, obeying Jesus. That We look at Jesus as a source of our joy, our hope, our peace, our purpose. That Jesus, we're gonna, you're worthy of it all, and we're going to give you it all, which we're going to see today. Worship is not just a service that you attend. It is a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year, 366 on leap year, posture of your heart that views Jesus as the most important thing in your life. And that you will orient your entire being around Jesus. He's the hub to your wheel. Your finances are a spoke that connects to Jesus. Your life decisions, your job, your family, your future, it's all connected. Jesus, what would you have me do? And then faith is acting on what Jesus tells you to do. Jesus is not just another thing. A heart of worship says, Jesus, you are the thing. Are you living a heart of worship today? It's not just singing a song or reciting verses or giving money. It is a heart surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, that he is the boss and that you're not. You're giving up control. Friends, you are all worshipers. We are all worshipers. By definition, you're daily ascribing worth to this or that. Starbucks is worth a 10 bucks cup of coffee. Okay. But if you're giving your 10 bucks a cup of coffee and not giving 10 bucks to the Lord, that's an issue time. This is worth my time. Like what matters to you gets your time, your talent, your money, your resources. It's a heart of worship. You're all worshipers. It's not the question. The question is who or what are you worshiping? Many of us, our hearts are idol factories naturally. Jeremiah says our hearts are deceitful above men. What do you worship? Good things become idolatry, idolatrous things, Paul Tripp says, when they become ruling things have to have this. Today, we're going to see Abel living a life that we should all aspire to. 
what does it look like to live with a heart of worship? We're going to look at two different heartbeats from this text as we go back also into Genesis 4 as well, to 3 and 4 as well. What does it look like to have two heartbeat, a true heartbeat of a true worshiper, which leads to a life of one that lives faithfully? We're going to get under the hood of, the life, of a life of faith, if you would, and see what the engine looks like. So I'm going to ask you to open your own hood, open your flesh, open your heart. To, I'll ask God to examine your heart. What lies beneath right here? What lies in your heart? Because that's dictating your actions. And see what we find and see where God will, we needs to do a little tune-up and a little work. Or maybe we need a transmission replacement today or an engine replacement. God's here to do that too. He, he replaces old with new. He, he is the best cardiologist ever. So the first heartbeat of a true worshiper is this from the text. is a true worshiper delights in the righteousness we have from God. Delights, takes joy, anchors identity, and the righteousness, look, and again, we see in verse four of chapter 11, that as Abel offered, as he was living as a genuine worshiper, an acceptable sacrifice, it, he was commended by God as what in the text? Righteous. He was commended as righteous. That means he was viewed by God. And when God looked at him, he said, I see you blameless. You are a sinner, but you're covered by the atonement, the sacrifice the worship that you are giving. I see you as in holy in my sight. You can stand in my sight because of your heart that God has transformed and made righteous. Praise God, amen. That's why we always have an opportunity and always should always a reason to be joyful and worshipful because we are, have been made righteous regardless of the difficulty of our external circumstances. So by faith, we see Abel. It said by faith, right? By faith, that's the key. He surrendered his heart. That allowed God to view him as righteous. Abel stepped out to worship God by offering a sacrifice to God. It was received by God while his brother Cain's sacrifice was rejected. They were both worshipers. They just worshiped different things. And that made all the difference. The quality of their heart, the heart posture, not only was the sacrifice viewed as acceptable before God, but Abel himself was viewed as acceptable before God. Praise God, amen, through the sacrifice. It's a big difference. It's a life eternity altering difference. So why did God receive Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's sacrifice? Did he just like Abel better and, and not like Cain? No, 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 that's not how it goes. Keep your finger in Hebrews 11.4, put a marker there and turn with me back to the very, very, very beginning. Genesis chapter four, the first book of the Bible. We see the story of Cain and Abel. To catch us up, to get to where we are, we need to understand what's happening here. We have to understand what happened in the first three chapters of Genesis. So God breathed life into the world and he created Adam. And then later he created Eve. He created them both together. They, Adam was working in the garden and they were in perfect unbroken relationship with the Lord. They were walking with the Lord. They were worshiping the Lord. And then sin entered the world because Adam and Eve did the one thing in Genesis 2. We see God telling them don't do, which was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because God literally said, if you do this, it will be the death of you. You will surely die. That's Genesis 2.17. But yet, while they were walking in the garden... Even the serpent had a little interaction and the serpent said, why wouldn't God want you to have this knowledge of tree and good and evil? And Eve's like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do it. 
And so she took the fruit and she ate it. In verse six of chapter three, it said that the tree, the, when she saw that the tree was good for food, it be, was a delight to her eyes. Her delight was not in the righteousness of God, but what was a delight in? What God told her not to do, the world. What are you delighting in right now? It's so easy to get distracted and our delight to get distracted, is it not? From we have perfect relationship with God, I'm distracted. Whoop, now it's in the world. And maybe that's just me, but maybe not. My delight's in my job, my car, my family, my future, my money. And God, the delight that I had on Easter, the delight that I had yesterday, the delight that I had on the day of my salvation is left in the literal dust because my focus is now over here, right? Where are you delighting? Our hearts are fickle. So she ate it, she gave some to Adam, he ate it. And then the eyes, verse seven of chapter three said, the eyes of both were opened and they realized they were naked. They were exposed, not just physically, but spiritually. God shows up. They try to hide. Good luck hiding from God. You will never hide from God. And then God confronts them and he's like, what's going on? That's, that's a paraphrase. And he looks at Adam because Adam is responsible, men, 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 you are the spiritual leader of your home and God will hold you to an account. So he looks at Adam and he says, what's going on? And he go, Adam's like, the woman, by the way, God, that you gave me, gave it to me. He tries to deflect. He tries to rationalize, excuse. First tries to blame the woman. Then he tries to blame God. Sound familiar with your life? It's familiar in my life, is it not? I'm blaming the circumstance, I'm blaming God, and I'm just rationalizing, justifying my own actions, excusing my sin. Where are you doing that in your life right now? That's not faith, that's folly. And, and God said, no. But look at the heart of God. We're, we're not gonna read all this for time's sake, but the heart of God is summarized here. God shows up, there's a serpent, there's God, there's Adam, there's Eve, and he begins to lay out the reality, the consequences of their actions because sin is consequences but I want you to note something really, really important here. And then chapter of three, verse 15, is the first look at the gospel. Sin has consequences, but before he gave Adam and Eve the consequences for their sin, he points them to the one who would be the covering for their sin. That's the heart of our savior. That's the heart of our God. Isn't that awesome? He points them to G. Even before he says, curse be the ground and all this sift, he points them, he, there's gonna be one that's gonna come and he will provide hope for you. Praise God. And then what does God do? He gives, he gives part of the consequences, part of which is you're going to get kicked out of the garden. You can't stay here anymore. And verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and he clothed them. He had compassion on the ones that had just rebelled against them. He provided spiritually and now he's providing physically. And he provided them physically in such a way that he had to kill an animal to provide them animal skins to cover their nakedness, their literal physical nakedness. But it's also a metaphor to project on covering their spiritual nakedness that will need a blood sacrifice to cover them. What an awesome God we have. The Bible's awesome, is it not? <laughs> like when you actually like read it and get it and like, read the Old Testament with the New Testament in mind. Everything points to Jesus. And so they, they get kicked out and then we get to chapter four here and here we go. And now Adam knew his wife Eve, uh, 
parents, you can explain that to your kids later. And she conceived and bore Cain saying, the, the Bible's direct, it's not vulgar, right? I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Cain's the older brother, Abel's the younger brother. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep. He was a shepherd. Cain was a worker of the ground. He's a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his, his face fell but the Lord didn't give up on him. And in verse six, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why has your face fallen? Maybe that's you this morning. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you, you, you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Wow. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. God rejected it. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. God accepted it. Now, they grew up in the same home. Adam and Eve must have very probably taught them about the the heart posture of worship to make sacrifices to God as a part of worship. Same upbringing, different hearts. So even if your siblings or loved ones have a different reaction towards God, it does not dictate your reaction towards God. Personal decision. Faith is a personal decision. Now, Cain's problem was not that his offering was from the harvest. We we know him later to come through the Mosaic law as he institutes it, even in Leviticus 23 specifically, that it will be a specific festival and feast of first fruits offering that we are required and privileged to give First fruits of the harvest to God. So it's not the fact that it was from the ground. His issue was that his offering was not from his heart. How do we know that? Hebrews 11, 4. By faith, faith in God, Abel made a sacrifice and it was given, it was received by God. Cain didn't have a faithful heart. He had a religious heart. He was going through the religious motions and maybe that's you this morning and maybe that's your past. It doesn't have to define your present or your future. You're going through the religious traditions and if I give enough money, I'll get saved. If I have good enough attendance, I'll get saved. If I memorize enough verses, I'll get saved. That is not how it works. Literally, you can't be saved by your works. We're saved by grace through faith alone. Cain had religion, he didn't have righteousness. That's a big gap. What do you have? God doesn't want empty religious tradition. He wants true heart transformation and that leads to adoration. God will not lower his standard. He does not lower his standard of holiness. Perfect sacrifice required. Your best, your first. We'll see that in a little bit. But he does come to us. One of the most amazing things in this is he first rejects Cain's sacrifice. And then he comes to Cain and says, this is grace. Your story doesn't have to be done right now. If you do well, what he's saying, if you get your heart right, there's still hope for you. 
But if you don't, here's the reality, verse seven, and if you do not, sin is crouching at your door. It's like banging on the table of your heart. Its desire is for you. It wants to destroy you. And you, who needs to rule over it? You. Now we can't do it in our own strength, but I have to make the choice myself. You can't make me stop sinning. I must choose to stop sinning. I can't make you stop sinning. You can't make your spouse or your kids. This is one of the most hardest things in the world, right? The loved ones, and you just see them. You can't change their act, their heart. Only God can do that. But we must surrender. Our part is to surrender. So catch this. God rejected Cain's sacrifice in large part because he wanted to save Cain's soul. He didn't just say, okay, that's good enough, knowing that it wouldn't lead to his eternal salvation. He said, no, 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 it's not good enough, but here's the heart hope for you. Yes, you're rejected right now, but here's the door for acceptance. The pathway is to surrender and submit and follow me in true, authentic faith. Sometimes God will allow you to go to hard stuff in order to point you to the one who will save you from everything. Sin is crouching at your door. Are you opening that door today? That's your choice right here to be like Abel and have a soft heart and declare Jesus is so- God's sovereignty, Jesus' sovereignty, admit our own depravity, claim Jesus' victory, proclaim our dependencies through faith, claim the gift of grace, or do what Cain did, allow your hard heart to get even harder because we see the fruit of his life and this fruit, don't mess it, miss it, is the product of a hard, rebellious heart. He went on, to become a murderer immediately. He then lied to God. I don't know where my brother is right after he killed him. And then he ended up as a wanderer, a fugitive, because he never turned his heart to God. All of that is the fruit of a heart that was not worshiping God, but worshiping self. He allowed pride to swell up. I will not bend the knee. I will not get my heart right. Why isn't my mediocre good enough, God? And maybe that's you today. God will not lower his standard, but he sent his son, who is his standard, to take your place and my place on the cross, to pay our price, to be the ultimate, the ultimate atoning sacrifice that we can stand before God holy through the atonement of Jesus and God can look at us and declare us as righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. I love what David in his Psalm of Confession, Psalm 51 says about the heart and offerings and sacrifices. And he says this in Psalm 51, for you, David's writing to God, will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You don't want religious tradition. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. When I come to you and I admit the reality of my depravity and I say, Jesus, I need you and nothing else because nothing else will save me. I can't pay enough penance. I can't give enough money. I can't work my way out of this. Only you, Jesus. Friends, what area of your life do you now allow do you need to allow yourself to be broken by, to be convicted and not run from the conviction? But I think that's what God is telling Cain and Cain refused. Don't be like Cain because the reality is sin's crouching at your door and it wants to crush you. 
There's hope. His name is Jesus, but the choice of faith is yours and I alone. I can't make it. We will walk with you through it and in it. But at the end of the day, it is your personal heart level decision. What decision are you making right now? Now, Abel's sacrifice was from a heart that recognized his depravity and declared his dependency on God's redeeming love, his unmerited mercy, his unending grace. And while it was not formally instituted yet, Abel's sacrifice is absolutely a looking forward to what will be instituted, the sacrificial system by Moses of several decades later. And it is ultimately looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who will pay the penalty for our sins. And it's a looking back a little bit on God killing an animal to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Praise God for our savior that we have. It's a redeeming sacrifice. The Old Testament points to Jesus. Abel was saved by his faith in God's promise of redemption and which was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament law. So what are two ways that we have to delight in the righteousness of God today? What does that look like? The first is this, to rest confidently in God's justification of me. Justification is a process by which God looks at you and declares you, imagine a courtroom, not guilty. When he looked at Abel and, and, and when he declared Abel in, in 11.4 of Hebrews, and he said, through faith, through your sacrifice, I testify, that's a, that word commendation in 11.4 is of Hebrews, I testify that you are righteous. He's declaring him innocent. He's declaring him justified, covered. Abel put his full faith in the reality that, he, that his offering to God of the firstborn of his flock, a firstborn sheep projecting forward, looking to the ultimate lamb that would pay our price, that God would redeem him through that and justify him. He trusted in God's promises of redemption. And may you and I do the same thing today too. Justification means that God declares us innocent, morally upright through him, that there is no other way for us to be justified but through a blood sacrifice. This is what the, he, the author of Hebrews says a little bit earlier in Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Forgiveness of sins. Praise Jesus that he shed his blood for us on the cross. He's our only hope. There's no other way. And man, I can rest confidently in God's justification of me because Jesus atoned for my sins. He paid the price. No matter what my circumstances are, he paid the price. And I think now we have to deal with the real reality of this text that is hard. Abel lived a very short life. He was known by faith, but God did not guarantee him a long earthly life. And many of us in this room might be like, why did God allow Abel's life to be taken so early? I don't know. He's God. I'm not. But this is a big part of our journey of faith is that God doesn't guarantee you a problem-free life following him. He guarantees you a peace-filled life, ultimately with Jesus. He doesn't say you won't have difficulty. He says that you can claim my victory. He doesn't say that your life won't be a mess because it will be. He says, my mercy is enough in your mess. He doesn't say you won't experience grief. He says, my, my grace is sufficient for your grief. He doesn't say that your loved ones or yourself won't, won't experience hard. In fact, he says, you will have hard. 
He says, I am your hope even when life is hard. That's faith. That's faith. Faith views our circumstances through the lens of Christ's character and promises as opposed to allowing our circumstances to be the lens with which we view Christ. That's faith. That's a heart of worship. How are you doing in resting in the justification and the righteousness that comes from God? Because you can do that confidently today and every day. Paul in Romans says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through him. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Regardless of circumstance, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because through our faith and through Jesus' sacrifice, we have been granted Christ's righteousness and God has given us justification. Praise his holy name forever. Whatever you're walking through, may you rest confidently in that reality today. Abel did. And we grieve, we lament, but we do it with faith and with hope, knowing that this world is not our home. So as we cling to our, the God's victory, our life speaks loudly of Christ's testimony. And the second way to delight in the, in the righteousness from God is this, to rely completely on God's provision for me. Abel brought the firstborn. He brought his best. We're going to hit on this in a second but he trusted God to provide for him. He trusted God to provide spiritually, trusted God to provide physically. Are you trusting God to provide for you today? Because sometimes we hold back in faith because we're like, God, I'm not sure that you're going to provide a dollar tomorrow if I give you my only dollar today, right? I'm not sure that you're going to really have a place for me to live if you're calling me to stay or if you're calling me to go. So I'm going to stay when you want me to go and I'm going to go when you want me to stay because I, I need control, Right? Worship is surrender of control. Where do you need to surrender your control today? And trust that the God who can make an eternal way for you will make a way for you just like today, just like God covered the practical needs of Adam and Eve and the spiritual needs altogether, he will do it for you today too. The heart of faith is the heart of what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount when it says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's faith, that's stepping out, right? And then all these things will be added to you. If you read through that text, I encourage you to do that later. Basically, right before that, he's like, God knows what you need. He knows that you're hungry. He knows you need clothes. And he's got you. Your job is to focus on seeking him, and then he will provide for you along the way. Where do you trust him? A life of faith is rooted in a heart of worship. We've all been probably times of our life where we've been able. Some of our times where we've been Cain the first go around. Some of us are in a situation right now where we're like Cain part two, where God's like, we've been rejected by God. We kind of know it. And God's like, okay, change your heart right now. I'm going to give you another chance. And you're like, I don't know about that. I'm going to double. Are you going to double down on folly? Or are you going to choose to put your faith in the Lord today? God's grace is sufficient wherever you're at. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Come. God does not promise you an easy life, a comfortable life. He promises you eternal life and an abundant life. Trust him. The second heartbeat of a true worshiper is this, is a true worshiper is the one who gives faithfully and generously to God. 
So we see in 11.4 that, that Abel is bringing a sacrifice to God. He's bringing an offering to God. What does that look like? Well, Genesis 4.4 4 describes that. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. So a heart of our worship is one that steps out in faith by God. is marked by consistent, sacrificial, generous giving to God of all aspects, right? A worshiper means, God, you have it all. So when we talk about giving, yes, we're talking money. Are you giving God your best? Are you tithing to his church? Are you giving offerings above? Yes, we're talking about your time. Yes, we're talking about your talent. Yes, we're talking about your resources, your home, your car, your experience. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I give my time, therefore I don't have to give my money. No, God wants all of it, right? Because one of the biggest transitions of a true disciple, of a true worshiper, is moving from the reality that I am a owner to the reality that I am but a steward. That everything I have is God's. I don't own anything. Everything has been given me from God, and therefore I want to give everything back to God. Everything's on the table, offering my best. And God tells me, okay, I want you to give five grand this month. I want you to give five bucks this month. I want you, you know, and going, yes, God, yes, God, I want you to open your cleary calendar. Well, you had a busy day and someone comes into tears in your office and your heart's like, I don't got time for this. But your head's like, God's giving me a gospel opportunity. I need to make time for this. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Whose time is it, yours or God's? It's one of the hardest transitions a growth of a person of faith and as a disciple is our perspective on our resources. All of them, not some of them, all of them to move from gospel, from hoarder to gospel investor. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. He says this, he says, the point is this. And whenever the Bible says the point is this, do you think we should listen, right? Yes. Like clarity, thank you. Okay, it means a hard truth coming, but clarity Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, heart of worship, not reluctantly, not because I have to, or under compulsion, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. And God is able, praise God. Underline that in your Bible 10 times over. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's like, I'm gonna give you everything you need to do everything I want you to do. You good with that? Hopefully, yeah, but I wanna go over there. I'm not calling you over there, but God, I really wanna go over there. Nope, I want you to do this. But that means I can't take the Disney vacation like my neighbors. I don't care. Aren't I enough for you? What are you delighting in? Remember that? But that means I, my retirement might, fund might get taken down a little bit. God's like, okay. Who controls your future anyway? Heart of worship. Yeah, this is getting really real for all of us. Myself, I'm uncomfortable saying this because God's kicked my butt this week. Because this is really real. Abel brought his first and his best. Are you giving God your first and your best? That's a worshiper. And that is breakthrough when it comes to faith. Because not only faith in, in my own heart, I'm trusting God to provide for me tomorrow what he's asking for me to give today. But faith spiritually, a generous heart leads to multiply kingdom opportunities. 
collectively as a church, you know, how do we go on mission trips? How do we help plant churches through the resources that God has given us in this room? Because we're all stewards and God's work requires God's resources. And read Matthew 25. God wants you to invest everything he has given you for his work and we will all give an account. It's the parable of the talents. I was at a church one time where they used to occasionally would do a literally a cheer when the offering plate was passed. That's a little corny, right? But God loves a cheerful giver. Does your heart jump for joy at the opportunity to give your money, your time, your resources, your car, open up your home for a small group or whatever to host? Are you excited about that? Or I got to clean again. Like there's reality to that. Yes. We do it every week. It's not always joyful, but it's worship. The disciple, the true worshiper removes from a heart posture of I have to do this too. That's religion till I get to do this. That's a relationship. What a privilege. What an awesome opportunity we have to give God everything that we have. Because God sent his son, Jesus. That's the standard. So here's a couple of, a couple of things about the get to giver. I, I pray that my own heart and I'm, God has challenged me and Anne and I every year to give more and more and more each year, a little bit more than we did the past. Because what you'll see in the, in the whole text of 2 Corinthians 9, he says, if you give today, trust me, I will give you more tomorrow to give more. You got to trust. That's faith. It's a beautiful text. It's a challenging text for each one of us individually and for us at church collectively. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. So the get to giver, the get to giver one gives God my first. Abel gave the firstborn, Genesis 4. Firstborn off the top. When it comes to tithing, giving offerings, you sh- we should all give to God before we do anything else. Now, practically, you have your own system to do that. But God's not like, are you giving God the leftovers if you're giving him anything at all? Or are you giving God off the top? The Old Testament tithe was 10% of the first produce. New Testament, it just says give cheerfully and joyfully. Give a, give a lot. 10% might be a good med- benchmark for you, but guess what? God's asking for more than 10%. God wants 100%. doesn't mean he's saying, sell your house and give me all your money tomorrow. He might. Would you? but he's asking you to offer it to him and follow wherever he calls you to lead. And you're like, I, I, I need to reorient my life. My, I'm, I'm already in debt. God's not asking you to bury yourself in debt. So again, next step, right? What's your next step to giving God your best? And maybe that is setting up an automatic tithe or offering your gift that off the top, this is what Anna and I do. We schedule it and it goes automatically, 10%. Everything we give above and beyond that is above and beyond that. It's not replacing our tithe and offering to the local church. Now, different people have different theologies on this. I get that. And some people like to literally write the check because that's a form of worship. Giving is worship. Giving is worship. It's not an obligation. It's not a have to. It's a get to. Yes, it's a command, but it's a get to. It's a worship. What would your life look like if you actually gave God your best or your first? I think it would radically change your life. It would radically enhance the opportunities that we have at the church or other places that you support. And I support the church and we support a bunch of missionaries and above and beyond what we give to the church. Not in replacement, but above and beyond. Again, that's between you and God. But he wants your first, off the top, consistently, faithfully. He wants your, what would it look like if you gave God 10% of your time every week or every day? Your energy, your skill set, your resources, your house, your car. Like this is mind blowing. Yes, it's going to change your life for the better. It will stress you. It will strain you. But man, God's got your life. You're going to live a life that still speaks. 
Where do you need to take a step? And then secondly, God wants your best. We see that in the text again. So God, in, in 4.4 of Genesis, Abel brought the firstborn of the flock and then also his fat portions. The fat is a delicacy. It means the best. Are you giving God your best today? Or are you giving him leftovers? If I have any energy, I'll get to this, I'll get to that. Like, no, giving God your best, again, it's the totality of everything. Yes, money, yes, but more than money. Your energy, your time, your intellect, your willingness to go across the street or across the world, your heart. What would it look like for you to clear space to serve at Harvest Kids Camp this summer because you're giving God a week of your year? That's tithing. What would it look like for you to clear a week or two out of your, your week to serve at Harvest Kids Camp? That's serving the Lord. Or to go to the DR or to join a pup, serve at the pop-up pantry. What would it look like? It's possible, but it's a worship issue. It's a heart priority issue. You make time for what matters. I don't got time for that. How much Netflix you've been watching? How much coffee you've been drinking at Starbucks? How much angry birds have you been playing? You, you, you think I'm kidding. God sees, God knows, God cares, and we will give an account. Build what lasts. Invest in what truly matters. Give your life to build God's church. That's worship. A life of faith is rooted in a heart of worship. That God, you're worthy of it all. You're over it all. So I will offer you my all today. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. At your play date, tell somebody about the Lord. Invite them to church. Be missional on mission. Be intentional. Paul writes this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, brothers, this is one of my life verses, by the mercies of God to present your bodies to God as what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. This is directly linked to, we see this in the life of Cain, do, I mean, Abel, do we not? Which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testifying you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will. One of the most often questions I get, Pastor Andrew gets is, how do I know the will of God for my life? And it's said differently. This text speaks it very, very clearly. The will of God is the word of God. The will of God is to live your life in such a way that you are a worshiper of God that continues to step out in faith for God. Offer your bodies, that's living faith. Out of what? A heart of spiritual worship, right? You see that? A life of faith is rooted in a heart of worship. That's the life of Abel. Is it your life? Because that's the life that no matter how many days you have on this earth and you can't adjust him, God knows, he already knows the number of days that you live on this earth. That's the way to live your life in a way that your life will forever speak a living testimony that says God was worthy and I will worship him with my... Cain was murdered because he was just a worship. I mean, Abel, Cain murdered Abel because Abel was just worshiping in everyday life. He just was a worshiper and faithful and that ticked Cain off and you're going to tick other people off. But God's worth it, isn't it? You can't control what they do or what they say. But we can control how we react and act to God. So quick questions for us as we close. Would you close your eyes with me? Just wrestle with this with the Lord. 
ask yourself this, and maybe these are great questions to ask your spouse this week to uh, grab some time to pray together and honestly evaluate a heart check. Talk about your small group, maybe. Accountability partner. Am I giving God my heart? All of it, not some of it. Does he have my heart? Cain and Abel had the same upbringing, were taught in the same, by the same parents, taught about God in the same way. They made different decisions. Does Jesus have your heart? Have you surrendered your faith and put faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if not, will you do that? And if you have, does he have your heart right now? Where do you need to turn back? Where do you need to trust? Where do you need to allow the character of God to be the lens with which you're viewing your current circumstances instead of the other way around? Ask yourself this, am I giving God my first? Am I giving God my first? Cain gave some, but he gave it out of religious obligation and tradition. He didn't give God his off the top best first and it wasn't from a heart of worship. Maybe that's you, you're like, I give. That's not the question. Are you giving God your heart and your best and your first? It's the third question, am I giving God my best? The last question is this, Am I giving like Christ? This one gets me every time. As disciples, we are to be little like Christ. Growing and maturing like him. Jesus gave all, right? He left the place he didn't have to leave. He was despised and rejected by men. He gave his body and his blood broken free. We're going to celebrate that and remember that in a second. He gave all. He's the standard. What if you evaluated how you lived your life through the metric that the Bible calls us to and the standard, which is Jesus? Am I giving like Jesus? What would it look like if that changed? And today, what does it take for that to change? What decision do you need to make right now? A decision of faith. Changes in your budget, your calendar, your heart. Go ahead and take the communion cup out that you have in front of you. As we commemorate and reflect on how Jesus gave what he gave. First Corinthians 11 describes it like this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. So if you would open the top of your cup and pull out the wafer. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Bible talks about communion. It says, come to God with a clean heart 
And communion is for believers. And so if you have never genuinely put your faith in the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, I will respectfully ask that you refrain from participating. But if you've never made that decision with all of my heart, I love you and I ask that you make that decision right here, right now. It's a life-changing, eternity-altering decision. So as Amy continues to play, would you just go before the Lord, you personally, and ask him to reveal any sin in your life that you need to confess before we take communion together. And then I'll lead us through taking the bread. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Friends, would you go ahead and eat the bread in remembrance of the body that Jesus gave willingly, freely, and lovingly for you. The text continues and it says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you can proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You get to proclaim the Lord's death. You can live a life in a way that speaks. So before we take this cup, you go before the Lord and ask him, what is the commitment you're asking me to make so that I can proclaim your name? I can live in such a way, a heart of worship that will testify to your gospel. And then I'll lead us in drinking the cup in a second. Jesus took the cup and said, this is my blood spilled for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. So friends, would you drink? the cup in remembrance of Jesus' blood for you. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the beautiful reality that you held nothing back from us and that you gave your best for us. You gave your son, Jesus. He gave it all. He gave his life and he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be spilled completely, fully, holding nothing back. And we thank you for that. And we stand on that. And I ask that you would move in our hearts to commit to live lives just like that. That in remembrance of the blood and remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ, that we would offer our bodies today as a living sacrifice, a testimony, God, of your grace and your goodness. No matter what circumstances we find ourselves in today, that you are sovereign over them and that we will testify in them and through them. God, change our hearts to take a next step today to be a true worshiper, a generous and faithful giver in response to the generosity and the faithfulness of the gift that is Jesus Christ. And may we rest confidently in the righteousness of the robes that Christ places on us 
and the justification that you proclaim and pronounce over us. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. In your name we pray, amen.